1: Tuesday edition of PFT PM. Hello, welcome to our Peacock audience. Anyone listening on Sirius XM two eleven or checking out the podcast, Shereen Williams and Mike Florio here for the next hour. And as I listen to the various quotes from the Monday night game, Shereen, I have to thank you for not cajoling, <laughs> instigating, or otherwise encouraging me last night. When I was on the way off the air, toying with the possibility of making some sort of wild proclamation in the event that the Bengals beat the Steelers up to and including the initials R and F for Ryan Finley tattooed on my arm. I never locked in the bet. I never took my hand off the checker. And thank you for not playing to my own stupid ego by saying, oh, come on, what are you, chicken or something like that. So thank you for that.
2: Well, and I was going to ask today, where is your RF tattoo? Because I figured you got it this morning, but let's just go here, Mike. I don't think I've gotten one of these Monday night games right yet, so I'm just going to stop picking. I'm going to pick who I think's not going to win, and then it'll probably go the other way anyway. But uh, whoever I pick, it, it's going to go the other way.
1: It's funny how people expect us to actually know what's going to happen in these games. No one knows what's going to happen in these games. We think we know. And every once in a while, we get lucky with our prediction of whether or not this team's going to be able to run the ball and stop the run and this, that, and the other thing. And it all sounds good because we have to fill the space leading up to the game as people are searching for any shred of information that they can rely upon, primarily to either justify their rooting interests or make up their minds on what bet they're going to place but nobody knows that's the fun of it nobody knows what's going to happen and we saw that again last night so plenty of fun still to come in the nfl regular season and last night's outcome throws the afc north into flux and it could be steelers at browns week 17 for the afc championship and it could be steelers and browns getting together in the wild card round the last time the browns were in the playoffs it was 2002 in pittsburgh against the steelers all right, Washington trying to win the division. They're 6-8 and eight in first place by one game. Any of the four teams can win it. They've got an issue now. They've got a good old distraction. Dwayne Haskins after the 20-15 to 15 loss to the Seahawks on Sunday, apparently, allegedly, whatever, was number one at a strip club, which is no big deal. He's a grown man. He can do whatever he wants. Number two, violating the COVID protocols that the NFL put in place for going to a club. You have to have on PPE, the pictures of him, no PPE. And you can only go to a place where there's fewer than 10 people. Who knows how many people were at this club? But it's obvious that Haskins did something for which he's in trouble because once the reports emerged that there was an incident and the Washington football team is aware and they're dealing with it, Haskins tweeted an apology. I think he's also since deleted his Twitter account But that doesn't take away the apology. The apology happened, and uh, basically he acknowledges that that he did something he shouldn't have done. There it is. I want to publicly apologize for my actions this past Sunday. I spoke with Coach Rivera yesterday and took full accountability for putting the team at risk. He was irresponsible and immature of me, and I accept responsibility for my action. I also want to apologize for creating a distraction for my team during our playoff push. I will learn and grow from this and do what's best for the team moving forward. I mean, yeah, regardless of a pandemic, it's not a great look when you lose a football game to be going out and partying anywhere, but that's okay. Again, they're grown men. They can choose what they want to do. I don't care about that. The bigger issue is potentially getting himself infected and potentially bringing it back to the team. And somehow we've gotten 15 weeks of football in Shireen, even though plenty of guys have done plenty of dumb things that we know about and that we surely don't know about.
2: Well, thank goodness we've gotten in this many weeks, Mike. But, yeah, Washington has a huge question at the quarterback position. And while they hope that Alex Smith can start, are they going to start Dwayne Haskins if Alex Smith can't start? And I do think that's a question at this point. And, you know, what is his future in, in Washington? Um, what do they think of him? This is like the third dumb thing that he's done. He was already... I think earlier this year for violating COVID uh, protocols and we remember the selfie last year when Colt McCoy had to go out and take the last snap because he's over there taking a selfie with the fan. I mean, just he continues to do dumb things even after Ron Rivera questioned uh, before the season, his leadership and then during the season, questioned his preparedness, his work ethic, and encouraged him. And they thought drafting him with that 15th pick that they could get the most out of him by challenging him. And that obviously hasn't worked.
1: It looked like it was going to, and then it didn't, and he didn't react well to when he was benched. And he went from being starter to street clothes for the Washington football team. This was an opportunity for him to rebuild his career for the Washington football team to potentially build some trade value going into the offseason. You know, there was talk they would maybe trade him before the deadline, the Tuesday after week eight. You're not going to get anything different from him during the season than what you're going to get after the season. If anything, maybe you can get more after the season because more teams will put together a competitive package and try to get him and they're going to analyze his film. It all kind of happens on the fly and maybe in a little bit of a rushed fashion during the season. So I still think they're going to try to trade him. This probably makes them more likely to try to trade him. The problem is this kind of behavior, Shireen, makes his trade value less than it otherwise would have been. And I, I go back to the old Chris Carter, all he does is catch touchdowns when Buddy Ryan finally had to cut the cord on the eventual Hall of Fame receiver to give him that wake-up call. Teams would much rather apply the wake-up call to, to the guy while he's on the team and hope that he finally gets it and figures it out than having him get that wake-up call somewhere else. With Haskins, I think Washington's just come to the clu- conclusion there's, there's no wake-up call to be had, and we'll see whether or not they can unload him onto a different team. And we'll see what kind of an issue it may be as they move forward this week. We're waiting to see the injury reports in advance of Sunday's game between Carolina and Washington. Will Alex Smith be good to go? He missed last week's game. They really need him to play, especially if there's any sort of, of discomfort and disappointment and just general disdain for Dwayne Haskins in the wake of what happened, Shireen. So I still think Washington will win the division. And who knows? Maybe, maybe this is a moment, the proverbial teachable moment for Dwayne Haskins that makes him more mature. I, I just think if Washington had seen anything positive this year, he wouldn't have been benched in the first place.
2: Well, that's exactly right, Mike. After week four, he got benched and then he violated the COVID protocols. It was fined almost $5,000. You remember he made that reservation uh, for a family friend at the team hotel. So it just seems like a pattern of things with Dwayne Haskins and can't do the smart thing. You always need that, that friend, that little angel sitting up on your shoulder who says, hey, this isn't a good look. We need to do the right things. But that little friend is supposed to be the quarterback. He's supposed to be the team leader. And even after Ron Rivera questioned his leadership, he doesn't seem to be leading for this team. And he hasn't learned, obviously, from Alex Smith, who is a great leader of the Washington football team. So I don't know if there is going to be a wake-up call, but I don't know that it's going to be in Washington if there is one. There have just been too many of these incidents where you finally throw up your hands and say, go do it for somebody else if you can, we're done.
1: You know, last point on this, the, the first thing that we think of when something like this happens is we think that maybe the person involved isn't very smart. But the other reality is, especially for someone in his second year, maybe he's not very mature. And then the third aspect of it as well, there's a sense of entitlement that creeps in when you get that four-year guaranteed contract as a first-round pick. Not like it used to be. It's one of the reasons why they put the rookie weight scale in place. You would have young guys like a Ryan Leaf in the locker room who believe they could say and do whatever they wanted without consequence, because you're not going to wreck your salary cap by cutting this guy that you have given all this guaranteed money to on a bloated rookie deal. Not the same now, but I think it may be a combination of maybe not too bright, maybe not mature, and maybe feeling a little too entitled, and that may be the story of the year and a half that Dwayne Haskins has been with the Washington football team. Speaking of immaturity... Juju Smith-Schuster continuing to insist on dancing on logos for road games. It's one thing when you do it at home on your own logo. When you do it on the road, that becomes a potential problem. Even though it's Juju just being Juju and it's part of his brand and it's social media, once it starts riling opponents up, then it becomes something that the team needs to pay attention to. Here is Coach Mike Tomlin from earlier today on the subject of Juju's TikTok videos while he dances on opponent logos.
3: I am aware of it, and I do plan to talk to Juju, um, but we're professionals. I I doubt any of those antics and things of that nature are are legitimate motivating factors uh, as you step into professional stadiums. Um, But it's about respect, and and so we'll have a conversation, uh, but I understand it's about the quality of play inside the white lines, and so I'm not seeking comfort or looking for excuses uh, based on our recent performances on things that occur in pregame or things of that nature. Uh, that are social media related.
1: Two points in response to Coach Tomlin. All due respect. When the opponent tells you it was a motivating factor, how in the world are you saying it's not? When you see the ferocity of the hit, that Von Bell, the Bengals' safety, applied to Juju Smith-Schuster. And Von Bell said before the game, that's how we're going to deal with dancing on our logo. And he made it clear after the game, that's how they dealt with dancing on the logo. So it does potentially motivate the opponent. It is a gratuitous act that has no strategic benefit of any kind to the Steelers. And it's potentially hurting the Steelers. So that expletive deleted must end right now if you are Mike Tomlin two. For as great of a coach as Mike Tomlin is, and I've had other coaches around the league praise his ability to strike the right chord with every player and get the most out of every player, it could be that Tomlin develops these weird blind spots where he lets guys do certain things as part of the broader effort to have the right relationship with them and get the most out of them. Remember the Antonio Brown Facebook Live video from the locker room after the playoff win over the Chiefs and how stupid that was and Tomlin had it happening right under his nose? We since realized Tomlin had a very unique relationship with Antonio Brown, where there was some give and take and some push and pull and allowing him to be himself in order to get the most out of him on the field. I think with Juju Smith-Schuster, it's a different story. And I think you can go to him and you can say, hey, Juju, that's it. It's done. No more. And you have enough evidence to make the argument to him. I think the problem is Tomlin may have already boxed himself into the corner here by shrugging at it in the past and trying to shrug at it now. The bottom line is, if I'm a Steelers fan, I'm livid about this. It has to end. It's not helping us. There's no point, Shereen. And when they go to play Cleveland Week 17, all eyes are going to be on that logo at midfield. And the last person I want to see on it, if I'm a Steelers fan, is Juju Smith-Schuster.
2: Yeah, Mike, this didn't become an issue until they started losing. And now that they're in this three-game losing streak, it's an issue. And Tomlin admits he didn't know about it until the Bills game when the Bills sort of made it an issue, and now it is an issue. When, As you said, when players from other teams are saying they're using it as motivation, you need to stop doing it. You don't need to provide teams with more motivation. I realize this is the NFL. They use whatever they use for motivation. We've seen everything. We've seen stupid stuff they use for motivation. But they want to find that, and they want to push themselves. And so that if this is motivating other players, and it's obvious it is, he just needs to stop doing it. Don't do it. Maybe do it after the game. Go make your video after the game, after you've won. Maybe that's when you do it, and then there is no pushback because you've won the game. But something needs to change uh, within this team. Obviously, this before the game and then with whatever they're doing in the game because they do not look like a Super Bowl contender right now, Mike.
1: Yeah, they don't, and it's amazing how quickly it's turned around for them from 11-0 and 0 to 0-3, and, and they legitimately could lose... The next couple of games lose the division title to the Browns. The Ravens actually rooting for the Steelers because if the Steelers win one of the next two and the Ravens win their last two, the Ravens get in. If I'm the Steelers, I don't know that I want the Ravens in. But what, what I do want if I'm the Steelers is to figure out over the course of the next two weeks how I'm going to win in the postseason. These next two games are the preseason to the postseason as far as I'm concerned because home field advantage doesn't really matter. Winning the division is doesn't really matter not this year especially yeah you want to be able to say you won the division and we've won it x number of times and that's great but you're already in the playoffs the goal now is to do everything you can to be ready to win the weekend of January 9 treat the next two weeks as your tune-up to get there and and that's what the Steelers need to do and we'll see if they can do it I, I I was surprised last night by Mike Tomlin's demeanor at his postgame press conference he seemed resigned to the fact that the team's not very good he said there's no reason for the players to be confident currently but at the same time he thinks they can fix it I'm not sure they can and maybe they needed to bottom out before they'll get better Shireen but they've bottomed out and we'll see if they now that they're at rock bottom will climb out of the hole or continue to try to dig when the Colts come to town this weekend
2: Yeah, you know, Big Ben has not played very well, Mike, and he's not played very well since that Dallas game. And I know they keep pointing out that his knee's fine and he hasn't been on the injury report, but he took a couple of hard hits on both of his knees in that game. He missed the the end of the first half. He did come back and play the second half and was able to pull out that win but i just see a different big ben since then and it's been a different defense that hasn't been able to pull the steelers out with all the losses they've had injury wise on that defense that defense just hasn't been able to pull them out of those holes and they now rank second on defense which you know we still think they're they're one of the top defenses in the league but they certainly hadn't played haven't played like it since they've taken some real big hits on that defense. And they really need the defense to find itself again, even with some backup players, but especially they need big Ben to find himself. If they're going to have any hope of even winning one playoff game, Mike, much less getting uh, beyond that
1: injury report says he's healthy. Mike Tomlin says he's healthy. Roethlisberger says he's not hundred percent, but no one is. If you don't have injury as an excuse, then bad news. You're just not very yeah. good right now and it could be as we suggested earlier today on pft live that ben's just old he's 38 he'll be 39 in march he's taking a lot of wear and tear he's carrying around a big body on that frame at some point that frame is going to rebel and say enough is enough and the steelers i think have a real quarterback situation on their hands going forward because all the other quarterbacks in their division all the other teams have great quarterbacks they better have a good plan post ben or they're going to have a problem the 49ers have a problem on saturday when they face the Arizona Cardinals in San Francisco's home away from home Nick Mullins out for the rest of the season with an elbow injury he needs Tommy John surgery CJ Beathard the only quarterback who will be on the active roster Josh Johnson on the COVID-19 reserve list so he won't come up from the practice squad and Jimmy Garoppolo cleared to return to practice but but they're not going to play him in any of the last two games look the 49ers are mathematically eliminated so I frankly I don't care about the 49ers at this point other than from the perspective of whether or not they could maybe beat the Cardinals this week or the Seahawks next week, and it's going to be difficult for them to do it, Shereen. The bigger picture question here is what are they going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo after this season? They can get away from his contract easily. They've said in the past, they expect him to be the guy next year. What else are you going to say during the season? I think all options have to be on the table. And you enter this season treating Garoppolo like a free agent and looking at all other free agents out there and then making your decision about what you're going to do and possibly draft a guy.
2: Yeah, Mike, they did that after last season with Tom Brady, as you were the first to report that. And so I would fully expect them to look at their options after this season as well. And I don't know that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be their starting quarterback next season. I think they may look elsewhere. And you've mentioned before that Kirk Cousins, that's who Kyle Shanahan initially wanted. So that could be an option for them, uh, as well as many other options around the league. But I don't know that Jimmy G is going to be back as their quarterback next season, Mike.
1: One quick note on the 49ers just came across the PFT text chain as we let each other know what stories we're writing. Josh Rosen is joining the San Francisco 49ers, so they won't have one quarterback. They'll have two. And Rosen gets to take on the team that drafted him and then dumped him this weekend in the event he even plays in the game. But they will have a backup quarterback on Sunday. Rosen heading from the Tampa Bay practice squad to the 49ers. One more thing as it relates to quarterbacks before we take a quick break. Last Tuesday, Deshaun Watson had an event in connection with the opening of his restaurant. This probably isn't the best time to be opening a restaurant. That's a different issue altogether. I appreciate the entrepreneurial (laughs) spirit. But what the Texans didn't appreciate, the fact that he had teammates there. And we get back to where we started, Shereen. And Deshaun Watson's been in the league long enough to know this. The rules now provide that you can't have gatherings of players away from the facility. Even if you're wearing masks, I don't see any masks there. Even if you're at least six feet apart, I don't see six feet apart there. How are we still doing this? And how in the hell has the
2: NFL avoided a week 18? And this is what they feared, Mike. This is more what you expected to see on the non-playoff teams, as you've stated all along, as opposed to Washington with Dwayne Haskins doing what he did when they're in the middle of a playoff race. So this is what you expected from some of these teams not in the postseason. And now we've seen it again. Deshaun Watson's a great leader, and to think that you're going to go at this restaurant and get your guys together and take a photo, and you know people are taking a photo, you don't have mask on, you're together. And then he was asked about it last week, Mike, and you know what he said? Oh yeah, we followed all protocols, we stayed six feet apart, and we wore our mask. It's obvious in that picture that didn't happen, and he has been fine, his teammates who were there have been fine, and here we go again.
1: And I get back to the basic message of what are the teams communicating to these guys and are they listening? Jack Easterby, Executive VP of Football Operations, Interim GM, what is he doing by way of making sure the players understand thou shalt not gather away from the facility? It's not a difficult concept. Hey, guys, we're gathered here at the facility. You understand how that works? When we're not here, we can't gather. You want to see any of your friends? FaceTime? Or come here. You can't gather away from here. That's the rule that applies to everyone. Do we have it? Do we got it? Do we got it? They don't got it. And and again, I don't know what sort of deal has been struck with the football gods by the NFL to pull this off. I don't know if souls were sold to make it happen. How have they gotten 15 (laughs) weeks in with this
2: mentality, Shereen? Yeah, and that's the huge question, Mike, but they have, so that's the fortunate thing.
1: All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, week 15 awards, MDS joins us. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at
0: DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of.
4: Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 1975 to be exact.
1: With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic.
4: In one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends.
1: Welcome back to PFTPM. Week 15 is in the books. It's Tuesday, and that means, as always, we hand out the awards. There are no statues. There are no plaques. There are no cash prizes. Just the satisfaction of a job done. MDS is here to help us do the job on the four categories, Offensive Player of the Week, Defensive Player of the Week, Rookie of the Week, and Coach of the Week. Hello, MDS. We'll get right to it with Offensive Player of the Week. You're up.
3: Well, I'm going to say kudos, Ryan Tannehill, on a job done. You are my (laughs) offensive player of the week. Uh, You know, I know a lot of people credit Derrick Henry for the Titans' offensive success, but I really think we're underplaying what Ryan Tannehill has meant to Derrick Henry. I'll give you a great stat, and we posted it on PFT today. Henry has 3,249 rushing yards in 26 games since Tannehill became the starter. Henry had 1,735 rushing yards in his 26 games before that. Look, they both make each other better, but I wanted to give Ryan Tannehill some credit. Three passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. He had an excellent game on Sunday.
2: MDS, you got the Aggie. I got the Aggie transfer and Kyler Murray in playing the Sooner Bowl. He out-dueled Jalen Hurts, and I just thought he was really good. He passed for over 400 yards, 406, threw three touchdowns and had the one interception, but was really good. 29 yards rushing uh, and a touchdown there, and and it's just amazing how quickly he and DeAndre Hopkins have really gotten it together and had that chemistry. and And Hopkins went over 150 yards. Uh, on Sunday it was just outstanding again and you look at how long it's taken Tom Brady to connect with Mike Evans and it is amazing how quickly the Cardinals have gotten that done. But congratulations to Kyler too. He got his first Pro Bowl and he got it over Tom Brady Mike.
1: That's right. And, uh, you know, I've learned that if you say Kyler Murray fast enough, it comes out calamari. That's one thing. And secondly, to the extent MDS had the original Aggie, you had the Aggie transfer. I've got the guy who apparently has had at some point in his life hair transplants, and that would be Tom Brady, my offensive player of the week. (laughs) His hair does curiously continue to get darker and darker each week, by the way, as well. Never and nevertheless, that's just an observation, not a criticism. It's it's up to Tom to decide whether and to what extent he's going to make his hair as dark as Johnny Cash's. But he did come in and get it done in the second half of a huge game at Atlanta, just from the standpoint of establishing that they're ready to go for the postseason. They fall behind by 17 points. It wasn't twenty-eight to three, but it was close enough. And in the second half, Brady was spectacular. Twenty-one of twenty-nine, three hundred and twenty yards, two touchdowns. And of all the teams in the NFC. I believe the Buccaneers are the best suited, best constructed, and best equipped to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, especially since that would happen in Tampa, the first team to ever play a Super Bowl, of course, in its home stadium. If the Buccaneers can navigate the NFC playoff field, it could be Buccaneers-Chiefs, and again, I think the Buccaneers would be the biggest threat to beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Not that I would pick the Buccaneers to do it, but they'd be the biggest threat. All right, Defensive Player of the Week time, MDS, who do you have?
3: Well, I have a guy I would actually love to see match up with Tom Brady if it gets there in the NFC playoff field. And that's Bobby Wagner of the Seahawks, who I think has maybe reached the point where he's been so consistently good for so many years that maybe we don't mention him enough. But he had another very good game on Sunday. He had 13 tackles in that win over the Washington football team. You see, he was selected to his seventh Pro Bowl this week as well. And that Seahawks defense is getting a lot better. Early in the season, there were big questions about the Seahawks defense. They have really turned things around. Bobby Wagner is a very big part of that. And and I like what they have the potential to do with experienced guys, with postseason experience on that team. I think they're going to be fun to watch in these playoffs, and I think it won't just be Russell Wilson carrying them as it was early in the season. I think they can win some tough, hard-fought defensive battles in the postseason, and Bobby Wagner is a very big part of that.
2: MDS, I went with one of the biggest Pro Bowl snubs and that's the Forrest Buckner and he was mad that he didn't get the Pro Bowl. He's not going to get anything for this award, but I did have him as my defensive player of the week. Three sacks was just outstanding. Four tackles, four quarterback hits, two tackles for loss and a forced fumble has really, really been good. And I think he's got a good chance, Mike, to make the all pro team this year.
1: Yeah, uh, we've seen that before, too. Guys that don't make it to the Pro Bowl that end up on the All-Pro team. The All-Pro team is more difficult. I think Eric Kendricks did that last year. Snubbing the Pro Bowl made it to the All-Pro team. My defensive player of the week, Devin White. I'm sticking with the Buccaneers. He had three sacks against the Falcons. They're going to need better defense. Not that their defense has been bad, but they're going to need better defense in the postseason. If they want to get to the Super Bowl, then obviously they'd need great defense if they want to slow down the Chiefs enough to outscore them. All right, we've got to keep moving here. Rookie of the Week time, MDS, who do you have?
3: James Robinson of the Jaguars, he has to get some attention, scored his 10th touchdown of the season, went over 1,400 yards from scrimmage. The Jaguars cut Leonard Fournette, a former number four overall pick, before the season and the starting job to Robinson, an undrafted rookie. He's proven himself more than capable. He's having one of the best undrafted rookie seasons in NFL history.
2: Sometimes MDS, we forget those players in the Thursday night games, but it's hard to forget Justin Herbert and the job he did. Had the one-yard touchdown run and overtime to win that game on Thursday night. Went over 300 yards, and amazingly, Anthony, Anthony Lynn didn't screw it up with some game management, clock management situation. Chargers were able to win, and Herbert was outstanding.
1: And uh, for me, Rookie of the Week, I was uh, got off my page here. and I for- Oh, Solve- how can I forget? Salvan Ahmed. I talked to him after the game on Sunday. He was awesome. He had 122 rushing yards on 23 carries for a Dolphins team that needed a smash-mouth running game to complement to Tagovailoa Bailoa and not expose him against the Patriots in a game the Dolphins had to have. It is amazing to me when you look at the AFC. Between the Dolphins, Colts, Texans, Ravens, Browns, one of those teams is not going to make it to the postseason. The Dolphins needed that win, or they would have been in danger of being the team that gets kicked to the curb. So, Salvan Ahmed, and also the great story about his grandma being in the hospital, he told her he'd get 100 yards. He did, and he took her a football from the touchdown that he scored. Coach of the Week Time, MDS, who do you have?
3: I have Matt Nagy, who I thought maybe was coaching for his job when the Bears went on that six-game losing streak, and now they've started to turn it around. They've gotten back to 7-7 seven and seven. They're only a game out of the wild card. It's it's going to be tough for them to get to the playoffs, but they may still get there. I wasn't so sure that Matt Nagy could save his job when they were on that long losing streak, but he's got Trubisky playing better. Nagy is doing a much better job, I think, overseeing the whole team now, and I think he may have saved his job with a big win over the Vikings.
2: MDS, I'm going with Sean McDermott for obvious reason. Third playoff trip in four years. First division title since 1995. He's done a great job in Buffalo. And if it weren't for Kevin Stefanski, I think we'd be talking about Sean McDermott as coach of the year.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people saying McDermott should be coach of the year, but it's always, in my view, the extent to which a team exceeds its expectations coming into the season. The expectations were already high for Buffalo. They weren't nearly as high for the Browns, and the Browns have a chance to win their division as well. What a strange potential outcome. The Bills winning the AFC East and the Browns winning the AFC North. For me, I'm going to go to the AFC North basement. Zach Taylor, hey, look. Uh, This is kind of like the kid that's brought home straight D's all year and shows up with straight A's in the final report card. But still, you get credit for the straight A's. I'm not happy with how the Bengals performed this year. I don't like the fact that Joe Burrow got injured, but I like the fact that Zach Taylor had his guys focused last night. It was basically their Super Bowl. They came out and they got it done and beat the Steelers. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. Tuesday is power ranking time at PFT, and look, it's been easy at the top right now. Chiefs and Bills, one and two, without question. Packers, number three, they're on track to be the one seed in the NFC. The Saints at four, they didn't move. Shereen, here's where it got tough for me. Number five, I don't know who to put at number five. I just bumped the Colts up because they were the closest. The Steelers took a free fall. The Colts are ten and four. They could easily be eight and six, Shereen, so give me your top five.
2: I had the same aside from four and five, Mike, and I flip-flopped the Saints and Colts just because the Saints concern me with the injuries that they've had, especially at the wide receiver position. They need Michael Thomas and they need him bad.
1: Huge gap between the best teams in the NFL and everyone else. It should make for some interesting playoff games coming up before we know it. Coming up, Football Pod in America right here on PFTPM.
0: Three great
5: words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with one dollar minimum purchase. Bada ba ba ba. Bell one time on Fridays at participating rentals through twelve thirty one twenty-four excludes tax must-up rewards.: Happy holidays everyone. We get to this is always an interesting week. Rodney, I'm gonna start with you and Tony. What was Christmas week like? in the NFL with meetings and practice and all that stuff when you're right in the middle of a playoff race and now you've got everybody in the house doing all the stuff that's going on outside the doors for all of us.
0: Mike, I was one of those guys that I didn't, I didn't wanna be bothered with a bunch of family and things like that if I had to prepare for a game. I wanted to just to be my wife, maybe my kids, and not a whole bunch of like my mom and my sister and my brother, anything like that. So I wanted to keep um, all the distractions and all the people at a minimum, coach.
6: Well, as a coach, it's different because you're trying to figure out how to manage this. What do we do on Christmas Eve? How do we get guys home quick enough? What do we do on Christmas Day? Do we move practice back? Uh, Do we start it early so they can spend the rest of the day with them? And as players, you know, a lot of guys don't have kids. But uh, as coaches, almost everybody does. You're thinking about the staff all of that and and still trying to win a game. So it, it can create some headaches for sure.
5: And we do have a game on Christmas, Mike Florio, with the, the Vikings in action and a significant game, obviously, for New Orleans. You know, from a fan perspective, and having worked a few Christmas day or night games, they're difficult, they're odd. But from a fan's perspective, it's great to be able to sit home in the afternoon after gifts are open, the family's gathered, and watch an NFL game. And we're going to get one with meaning here on Friday.
1: Yeah, and it's a Thanksgiving vibe, definitely when you have that game on, especially late afternoon in the Cowboys' traditional window. And for the Vikings, they're not officially done yet. And even if they are, this is kind of like their last chance to show people what they can do, like what the Bengals did on Monday night against the Steelers. It's kind of like a bowl game. It's an opportunity to get everyone's attention and maybe lay the foundation for next year because obviously there's no way they're getting to the playoffs this year, but they can at least go out with some pride intact if they could upset the Saints.
5: You brought it up, so I won't let the Cincinnati fans – Do any more celebrating. You all can have your moment for the rest of the week. But, Tony, I'll start with you on Pittsburgh. This has been three, four odd weeks here for the Steelers. What's the level of concern, and where is the concern for you and Rodney as you watch the Steelers lose to Cincinnati Monday night?
6: Well, my concern started about six weeks ago as they were winning these close games but really kind of losing their identity. And having played in Pittsburgh and coached in Pittsburgh, you come into December thinking, hey, we're physical, we're tough, we run the football, we stop other people from running. That's the way you win football games in Pittsburgh in December. And that hasn't been the case for about a month now. And, and people are catching up to that. So I think it can be fixed, but I'm not sure if it can be fixed in this day and age with the rules. Uh, what we did and what we used to do, and I know what Coach Noel would do, we put the pads back on and we do some hitting and practice blocking and tackling. And that's what they need to do, but I don't know if you can just the way the rules are set up now.
0: And to me, I, I think the most important thing they have to do is just stick together as a team. You're going to have the media, you're going to have the fans, and everybody has an opinion of what you should do, run the football more, this, that, and the other. Just stick together. And if you're Mike Tomlin, go to your veteran players and tell them to spend more time with some of the young players, getting them a little bit more familiar with the game plan. So it's just about guys putting more effort in and not putting, you know, blaming each other. All the mistakes and things like that. Just sticking together as a team, Mike.
5: Yeah, totally. I almost to feel like point, they have Mike. To... Good, Mike. Good. I'm sorry. Sorry.
1: I, 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 what I was gonna say is I almost feel like they have to bottom out before they can start digging out of this hole. And maybe the bottom was struck on Monday night against mm-hmm. the Cincinnati Bengals. It kind of reminds me. It's a loose corollary to 2005. They lost in Cincinnati, or either Cincinnati came there and beat them. Either way, they lost to the Bengals, and everyone's like, oh, up, up, up!" The Bengals are the new masters of the AFC North and that next week the Steelers had a game in Pittsburgh against the Bears and it was a hard fought tough snow in the air type of a game and that was the spark for what ultimately became the Steelers getting in by the skin of their teeth and winning the Super Bowl that year but I feel like they need to hit bottom and maybe they finally have and now the question is can they start digging out with the Colts and the Browns as the two games that that they have as an opportunity it's almost like a preseason to the postseason these are two games mm-hmm. where they can prove to themselves. That They're ready to win in the playoffs.
5: Because they're in, and I wanted to get back to Tony's point there about putting the pads on. Mike Tomlin played that card already before the Buffalo game. May have to play it again, but if they don't beat Indianapolis, Tony, and Cleveland beats the Jets, we can't assume anything as we learned this week, but then Cleveland's got a chance to win the division on Week 17. So Pittsburgh really has to be feeling the pressure. Can they become the Steelers that we know and establish a running game at this late point in the season?
6: It can happen. I believe that. Uh, it reminds me a lot of our season in 2006, our Super Bowl season. We started out the mm-hmm. same way in Indianapolis, 9-0. and We're winning a lot of close games. Really weren't playing our style, but winning. And then we hit a stretch where we played badly. And we had a game about this time of year in Jacksonville. We lost 44-17 to and gave up almost 400 yards rushing. And everyone said the season was over. I remember talking to guys and saying, we're not getting any new players. We have no hero that's going to come in and save us. We're going to cut down on what we do. We're going to get back to basics, tackle, block, and and move the ball that way. And six weeks later, we were in the Super Bowl. Uh, We we got some guys healthy and got back. But as Rodney said, it's the mentality that you have going back and believing in each other, believing in the system, and doing what, what you can do.
0: And we keep, we keep talking about the Steelers of old, and I hear everybody say the old mm-hmm. Steelers. This is a completely different team. You look at their offensive line. These guys are pass blockers. They don't, they don't do well when it comes to grinding, putting that hand in the dirt, and knocking people off the ball. So we can't expect them to come out and try, all of a sudden try to run the ball 30 times a game. But I think what they have to do, at least try, give an effort like they did last night, try to run the football, use the play-action pass, Maybe like you talked about with Chicago, Coach, maybe get Big Ben under center a little bit more so they can hand the ball off and use some of those play actions and things like that. But this, the personality of this team is not a offense. It's not a physical pound, put your hand in the dirt and just, and just physically dominate people. That's not their personality, Mike.
5: So, Mike Florio, who's the second-best team in the AFC if we all agree Kansas City's number one? Is it Buffalo at this moment?
1: I think without question, it's Buffalo. And I think something happened to Buffalo with the Hale-Murray play. I think losing that game helped them more than winning it helped the Cardinals. The Cardinals lost three in a row after that. The Bills, I think, got upset. They had the game won. They let it get away from them. They went to their bye week. And I've heard... Time and again this year, the bye week, how important it is for teams that didn't have a preseason, that didn't have an off season. It's an opportunity to retool and refocus, and they've undefeated since their bye week, and they've had three straight nationally televised games, two in primetime, and they've risen to the moment and they keep getting better. This is December and the Bills are getting better every week. They blew out the Broncos that the Patriots coming up on a Monday night. They're gonna be ready for the playoffs, and they know very well the last two times they were in twenty seventeen and last year. They lose in the wild card round. This is a team that strikes me as an organization that is ready to get to January and win. And I think they are, in the AFC, the best threat to the Chiefs right now.
6: And I I could agree with you on that, Mike, but I'll say one thing. The uh, Buffalo Bills, their Achilles heel is their run defense. If they get in and have to play against Baltimore, and Baltimore is playing the way they've played the last couple weeks, and they get back to the pound in the football. The other thing Baltimore can do is put pressure on the passer. That is a matchup that would be very interesting. I do think Buffalo has the best chance to beat Kansas City because they can score points. But I I would be very wary if I was a Bills fan and, and those uh, Baltimore Ravens rolled into Buffalo.
0: Yeah, I didn't get a chance to really hear what Mike Flory is saying. I'm having audio problems. But I, I think Buffalo is definitely that team. Um, I think – You know, every Hmm. single week I look and I watch their defense. They're playing a lot more aggressive coaching. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, How Leslie Frazier. He's calling a lot more aggressive game plan. And it seems like those players are really feeding off of it. You see they're creating turnovers. The secondary in particular at the cornerback position, they're playing outstanding. I think their safeties are some of the top trio, um, dual safeties in the league. So I, I like what they're doing defensively. And we know that Josh Allen and that offense can put up some points. So I think it's Buffalo right now.
5: Yeah, Roger, they got back to the pieces on defense and they felt much more comfortable, Tony, as they've gotten to the second half of the season. Leslie Frazier getting the pieces that they had changed a little bit. They brought in some guys with some experience from Carolina, uh, going back to Sean McDermott's system. It feels like they all fit together a heck of a lot better right now.
6: They are, but we have to remember this. Going into Kansas City, you can't go in there with defense and expect to win. The Saints right. played them about as well as you can play them. They roughed up. Mahomes. They threw the timing off. They covered. uh, They played physical and they gave up 32 points. So you played perfect. (laughs) You you still are going to have to score 35 to 40 to beat them. Buffalo can score. That's why I think they have the best chance to to beat the Chiefs.
5: I'm going to flip back over to the NFC here for a second. Tony, you mentioned New Orleans. Can you follow up on that? The Drew Brees situation. Look, early on, he didn't look as comfortable, as sharp as we're used to. What did you see as the game went on, and what do you think we're going to see with New Orleans these last two weeks?
6: Well, Drew got better, and they're going to need him to get better, and I think Sean Payton realized that. He took a calculated risk and said, I'm going to go with my ace. I know from practice he's not 100%, but if we're going to win in the playoffs, if we're going to win a Super Bowl, we need Drew in there. He wants to play, so I've got to play him. Uh, it may have cost them a little bit in this game last week, but in the long run, I think it'll, it'll help them. They're, they're a good defensive team. They've got a lot of weaponry. They're going to rest Michael Thomas up and try to get him healthy for the playoffs. But the key is Drew. He's got to come back. He's got to feel comfortable, get that timing back, and be the Drew Brees that we know in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, but Drew also has to be honest, and he owes, it's his responsibility to his um, coaching staff as well as his um, teammates be honest about how he's feeling. I don't want a Drew Brees at 80% and 100% Taysom Hill because I believe 100% Taysom Hill is a lot better than an 80% Drew Brees at this point in time in his career. So it's his responsibility yeah. to make sure that he communicates yeah. even next week if he starts and he gets injured. He needs to go to the coaching staff, be honest and don't try to be a hero. Take himself out of the game and allow Taysom Hill to take over if he's not a, you know close to 100%. Mike?
1: Yeah, look, I agree completely, and I'd love to know the story behind the story as to why you go with Drew Brees when he's clearly diminished when you have Taysom Hill. It makes me wonder, does Sean Payton have doubts about Taysom Hill, even though for the most part he got a passing grade? During his four starts in Drew Brees' absence, for as much as I've praised Sean Payton for being a genius when it comes to manipulating the media and keeping his starting quarterback's identity close to the vest, I think he misfired here. It should not have been Drew Brees against the Chiefs. They could have potentially beaten the Chiefs with Taysom Hill. I'd love to know. Surely there's an alternate universe somewhere where all other facts are the same except this one. Taysom Hill played (laughs) instead of Drew Brees on Sunday. I'd love to know what happened in that game.
5: Florio World. We should all visit Florio World on a daily basis just for our imagination. New Orleans does win the division if they get the win over, over uh, Minnesota on Christmas Day. They do play Carolina Week 17. I'm just going to tell you guys, do not sleep on Carolina. They continue to play close games. they stayed in it, and who knows if we see Christian McCaffrey before the end. Guys, let me ask you one last question here, and then I'll get to our Sunday night game. Tony, the Rams... I know the Jets in the first round pick and Trevor Lawrence and all that stuff. We got that. That was stunning with the Rams, the way they were playing. And now they play Seattle in one of those almost got to have it games, the biggest game of the Sunday afternoon window uh, late. What are your thoughts on what happened to the Rams and what this week is going to look like for them?
6: Two weeks ago, I was ready to declare the Rams the most complete team in football. They had everything rolling defensively. They're playing great. They're rushing the passer. They have a physical secondary. They're running the football. Jared Goff is getting all these easy throws off the play action and the bootleg. They're they're moving it well. And I said, "This, this is the most complete team. But you see what happens when they aren't able to get that run game going early. The Jets came out, and their defensive front stuffed them up front. And once that run game didn't happen, they were a completely different team. So uh, that that has to put a lot of doubt in their mind. If we play someone in the playoffs that can stop our run, then where do we go? And, and uh, they're, they're, to me, there's just some doubt about that offense right now.
0: Yeah, and the thing that really stood out to me was just a lack of passion and emotion. They didn't play with that energy, and it almost seemed like they mm. were looking forward to this week's game as opposed to and looking past – the Jets. When you have a team like that, you're going into the playoffs, you got to treat every opportunity that you have to play against a team as an opportunity to get better as a team, to win, and to continue that progression right into the playoffs. And I just, when I watched the film yesterday, again, I just didn't see that passion. I didn't see that energy. You saw guys kind of jogging um, to make plays, and it just wasn't what I was used to seeing the Rams play like.
1: I got a name for it. I got a name for it. I, pro- I don't think I've ever used this before and I'll probably forget to use it again, but I'm going to call it an eggnog game. It's Christmas week. The Rams across the board thought, hey, it's hey, it's Christmas week. This is the Jets. They stink. Look at what happened to them in Seattle. They're no good. We're good. It's on the players. It's on the coaches. It's on everyone. They should have sensed and probably in hindsight, Sean McVay is kicking himself for not sensing that." A, a malaise kind of settled in that they thought all they had to do was show up. And, uh, you know, next year, week of Christmas, I'm going to be watching every game to <laughs> see where that eggnog game, game is because <laughs> this was the 2020 eggnog game.
5: Uh, do, you, do you like eggnog, Mike?
1: No, I hate it. I've never had it. I you just, I, no, there's something never. about, no, I, I've never had it, never had it. I, I just, the, the thought of it, any any liquid with egg in the title is not, <laughs> is not appealing to me. <laughs>
5: I'll take a milkshake if I want something Nog? that thick. I hate it. You hate it. Tony? I,
6: it. <laughs> I, I, I know the. I actually like eggnog, and I know the feeling Good that man. Mike is talking about, and you do have to guard against that <laughs> as a coach. But I'm not sure that was it with the Rams. Uh, I, I just think if you can stop the Rams from running the ball and, and setting that physical tempo on offense early, they're a different team.
5: I thought Tony was going to say, I know what Mike's talking about with eggnog, but he turned it right back to football, thankfully, keeping us on the rails here. (laughs) All right, last one. Rodney, I'll give you the first swing at this. Tennessee Green Bay, our Sunday night game, is a huge game. Derrick Henry, who, if he can have two big games, can think about 2,000 yards. Aaron Rodgers, 40 touchdowns, incredible season. Bad second half for their Packers offense in the game against Carolina Saturday night at Lambeau. Rodney, what are you looking forward to in this matchup on Sunday night football?
0: tackling. Are you kidding me? Who's going to tackle Derrick (laughs) Henry? (laughs) I mean, tackling and even Devontae Adams, because, you know, Aaron Rodgers, with all these big wide receivers, he's like to get to get the ball out quick and force these DBs to tackle, you know, some of these big wide receivers. So I'm really excited to see if Green Bay will step up their linebackers, their safeties, their cornerbacks and tackle, I'm no dump trump. (laughs) (laughs)
6: Well, I'm I'm excited about the game because to me, it's strength against weakness. Tennessee can do a lot of things really well, but they don't rush the passer and they don't have a great secondary. That spells trouble against Aaron Rodgers. (laughs) Green Bay does a lot of things well, but they don't stop the run, particularly inside run. They've got pass rushes off the edge, but now uh, can Tennessee get their strength, Derrick Henry going against Green Bay's weakness? And how does Tennessee put up some type of fence or roadblock to stop Aaron Rodgers? I, I think it could be a high-scoring, really entertaining game. People are – I didn't know this until I read it yesterday. Tennessee has the highest-scoring offense in football. So we're going to see yeah. some points on the board. Yeah, Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, the Packers Sorry, have been Mario. prone to starting slowly. That's all right. The Packers have been prone to starting slowly at home this year. They finally had a fast start. On Saturday night against the Panthers, and then they had to fight to hold on. The Titans yeah. are a little more desperate in this one, though. I think this time of year, when when then there are, you know, you start checking the, the boxes and it looks pretty even. The Titans don't have a playoff berth nailed down yet, and they could blow it and fall out of the postseason altogether. And I think they're going to be a little hungrier for this one. And and I I, I right now I, I feel like this is a bad matchup for the Packers because the, the, the Titans do have that great offense. They do have that hunger. They know the stakes. And and we've seen it with the Packers. They're prone to having that bad game just kind of out of nowhere, and that could be on Sunday night when it happens.
5: Yeah, Tennessee, Indy, Cleveland, Baltimore, Miami, one of those teams will not make the playoffs. So these last two weeks are essential for those teams. And then we're going to be watching that Rams-Arizona situation, a potential Week 17 there, as Chicago keeps Keeps hanging around here and has a chance to get to 8-7 and if they can win on Sunday. It's fun. We've gotten down the last couple of weeks. There's that extra playoff berth, but there's still good races to be had here in the NFL. Guys, have a great, great, great Christmas with your families. Luckily for us, we get to spend Christmas with our families and then go to work for the good NFL weekend. So uh, Merry Merry Christmas Christmas to all.
2: Yeah, you too, and
5: I hope Scrooge brings you a piece of coal and eggnog, Florio,
1: <laughs> <laughs> for Christmas this year. I'll eat the
6: coal
5: before I drink
1: the eggnog. Thanks, <laughs> Mike.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll see you down.
1: Football right. Night at 7 Eastern for
5: Tennessee Greenback. <laughs>